So, David. Oh, so, Michelle. Hi. Hello. We're a year on from Happy the Happy anniversary. I know. <laughs> well, a little late. Sorry. It's a belated anniversary celebration. I know. Celebration's probably not the right word. It, we're not celebrating anything. We're not celebrating. We are. We're doing a retrospective. A retrospective. A year gone by. We're having a look at the last year and that plucky little country. I know. It just won't give up. In Eastern Europe. Throw down, Ukraine. <laughs> throw down, I say. <laughs> Okay, look, let's not get so flippant about well, but it. it I, I, I'm not being flippant. I'm really excited because we've got a guest. I'm excited we've got a guest because it means exactly. I don't have to just talk to you. Oh, <laughs> make me so, feel like I'm married to you. Well, I, we are. We're studio wedding. Exactly. Let's bring him in. Let's do it. You're listening to I Spy, the unwanted anniversary of Australian intelligence. Yeah, I got your present. What is it? it it's an empty shell casing. Okay. Sorry, your gun doesn't work anymore. That's a really shit gift. Oh, it's, it's a really shit anniversary, honey. Hello and welcome to I Spy. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and we've got a guest. We've had him here before. We have. And he's been doing the rounds, I have to say. Quite busy. Very popular guy. Very popular guy. Very popular guy. Do you want to do the introduction? You do the intro. You're the professional. No, you do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. Round of applause. Misha Zelensky. Misha, how are you? Good to have you in. I'm well, mate. Good to be with you. I'm not sure I'd say popular, but busy perhaps. Well, yeah, every time I look on the TV, you're there. Yeah. You're there talking well, look, about plenty stuff. of unpopular people on television all the time. <laughs> That's so, a good point. He's a tick. Yes. Right. <laughs> so, Misha, you ha- you just to fill people in because they, I don't know if they remember, last time we had you on now, you have a very good podcast called Diplomates. Mm-hmm. Um, you also write for the Finn Review and you've spent some time in Ukraine. Yeah. So, I think you kind of tick, tick, tick. You tick all the boxes. Yep. Now, Ukraine, year on, they were doing really well early on and now it feels like it's at a stalemate. Russia mm. has sent in more troops and it seems to be that this war is not ending anytime soon. Well, it's hard to know, right? So we are one year into Vladimir Putin's 24-hour war, right? Yeah, so yeah. That's I know. An important Three days marker. max. That's right. So that's, a, I guess, a measure in many ways of how badly this has gone for Vladimir Putin and Russia. You know, it's, it's a complete disaster. So in terms of where the war's at, you're right in many ways that through winter, there hasn't been a lot of movement in the front line. There's been a lot yeah. of activity. Yeah. So it's not to say because the lines haven't moved enormously like they did through the Ukrainian counteroffensive mm. throughout uh, the autumn, mm. the northern autumn. They certainly have been fighting very intensively in very small area, particularly around a city called Bakhmut. Mm. Uh, people might have read about, heard about, yeah, the Russians are losing somewhere between 800 to 1,000 soldiers a day there. Um, so they say the meat grinder, the lights of which we really haven't seen since World War II. Well, I think the figures yeah. are something like 200,000 dead and right. injured. It's like, it's yeah, this is a, getting up into sort of World War One territory, right. some kind of battle type Right. Stuff. I mean, the... The uh, Soviet armies, I think, lost less than 20,000 in 10 years in Afghanistan. Yeah. The United States lost about 4,500 troops across two wars over about 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan. So this level of attrition is extraordinary. And even for Russia's sort of legendary ability to withstand huge losses of military, uh, it's got a a stomach for it. Those have typically occurred during wars of defence, not offence. Now, Putin's trying to characterise it as a... A defensive war against Ukraine, the West, everyone's trying to get them in sort of his batty speech, 
uh, last week that went for about two hours. So one of the things dictators can do is apart from uh, press everyone, they can also force people to listen to them for two hours because no one else would get away with it, that length of speech in you know, no. any kind of polite Look, company. I've tried um, it with Michelle and it just doesn't work. <laughs> I literally right. get up and leave. Right, exactly, yeah. because you can. <laughs> yeah. Had yeah. he been a dictator, you would stand and you know, never be the last one to stop clapping in a dictatorship, they say. Exactly. So, or the first one, rather. So, um, yeah, so the war is, you know, in a weird position in the sense that it's not moving around a lot, but I actually think that it's actually very well placed for a Ukrainian counteroffensive. Now, it seems counterintuitive because what we know is the Ukrainians are waiting on a whole heap of kits on its way, yeah. tanks in particular, Yep. and that's going to be a big game change for them on the ground. Now, last time we saw uh, Ukraine in a similar position where they were withstanding a huge withering assault on their on their armies was middle part of last year. Yep. After they lost the Battle of Kiev, the Russians then said, oh, we're going to focus on Donbass and the East, which is where Bakhmut is, but similar area. There was a city called Siverondonetsk, which was this type of fighting. Mm. The Russians were grinding forward and everyone said, look, there's no point resisting them. You can't resist this Russian yeah. army. They love taking losses. They almost, you know, they get off on it almost in some ways, a perversity around that, and that the uh, Ukrainians are being silly defending this. And right? didn't they wind up, it was the steelworks. They wound up basically... Well, that was Mariupol. Oh, Mariupol, Yeah, yeah, but, but no, but likewise, right? So... Yeah. But what ended up happening um, in that eastern offensive of the Russians, that midpoint of the war, which is a grinding type of war, everyone's like, it's not moving around, what's happening? Yeah, the, the Ukrainians are gradually being pushed back. It ended up being a bit of a rope-a-dope strategy for those that know their boxing history. Oh, so yeah. essentially, the Russians punched themselves out in yeah. that period, and then that opened them up to this huge counteroffensive we saw in the northeast around Kharkiv, and of course, culminating in taking back Kherson. I think a little bit similar things happening right now. The Russians are exhausting themselves. Yep. Trying to take not kilometers. This is measured in houses. Yeah, yeah. you know that lose eight hundred or thousand people to gain a house. Yeah, um, so there's been a lot of firefighting. Is right, that correct? Right. As opposed to a lot, a lot less bombing and stuff like it's, that. It seems like there's been well, a lot more it's firefighting more, and yeah. combat in that way as it's well. It's World War Two style fighting, That's which is essentially yeah. soldiers holding rifles yes. and artillery bombardment, which is not a sophisticated method of fighting. This is a World War Two tactic. Yes. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, and it's come from the very beginning. One of the things that came out with the initial special military operation, as they put it, was the fact that the Russians never told their troops while they were sitting right. in Belarus and in the, right. on the Russian border that they were going into Ukraine. They just said it's an exercise. So yeah, a lot a training of training exercise, a training exercise. They you know, pack they their uh, their parade uh, outfits with. Them. Oh yeah, the generals were told to take their right. uniforms because it'll. Yeah, they'll be, be marching through Kiev. Yeah, you'll be, yeah. But yes. the big thing was is the troops themselves. A lot of them were coming from the eastern provinces right. of Russia, which is poor. So they went. We're on an exercise. We don't need this GPS system. Let's take it down to the marketplace and sell it. Do we really need all this fuel? Let's sell it. So the thing was, when they attacked Kiev, the Ukrainians were very smart because they went, let's not worry about the tanks. Let's worry about the support vehicles. Right. Go for the fuel, right. go for the maintenance. And as soon as they did that, the Russians' logistics just fell apart. And the other problem was they were all unblooded, excuse the phrase, but right. they were inexperienced soldiers. They weren't veterans. So they basically blazed away with all their ammo in the first four days. Yeah, and I was listening to a Ukrainian soldier who was kind of recounting like the firefight on the front lines. And he was saying it was actually, it felt like you're in a video game. He was actually in a firefight for over two hours, which is just a long time. And he said what was unusual was there were Russians just standing there, not ducking for cover, just shooting and standing. 
And it's like they had no idea. Like they just didn't know where they were or what they were doing. Right. Yeah, and cool. I've got a respawn. I'll be fine. Yeah, it's like, well, it work like that. well right. because Putin is putting in a lot of these young, inexperienced right. yeah. boys into the fight. And I can't see how it's going to last. Well, it's very difficult. You know, he was very reluctant to do the call up in September, October last of course, year. The reason it's he did unpopular. that is because basically. Uh, they had 200,000 troops situated on the border before the war in you know, February of 2022. Yep. They, you know, for lack of a better term, burned through those, you know, depending on you know, whatever figure you want to cite. Let's say it's 150,000 to 200,000 dead or injured significantly that they can't fight. So you've got to call up more. Yep. But even you know, having called up, they say 300,000, it's probably more like 250,000. Not all of them are equipped. Uh, you can do the math pretty quickly, say if you're losing six or 7,000 troops a week, uh, you, yep. you don't really have the capacity to do that. So no. Putin's stuck in the sense that uh, the war is increasingly unpopular. It seemed to be going very badly. Uh, the last time they did a call up, not only uh, did the people avoid it, but they left the country. So about yep. 700,000 Russian have gone. principally men mm. fled to the country. A lot of them are actually the more highly skilled. So it's actually economically damaging as much as it is you know, demographically damaging. And so he knows he doesn't want to do that again because it's an admission that things are going badly at the same time. They can't really change their tactics. Yeah. So, no. I, what is the end game here for Putin? Like, well, there if you, if you were to, I know, but like, if you were to strategically look at it, yep. what is his way out here? Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. So, I wrote a, a lengthy essay, a four thousand word essay last Friday, just on this. But <laughs> saving everyone, I know you're listening on a podcast, thinking of four thousand words. I'm not reading <laughs> look, that. I, I did. Look, I tried. I read it. I, oh, you I know, there? You go. Full I know marks. Read it. Tick, I, read it. I, I started it. Well, he. Well, okay. <laughs> here's the test. No, no. So basically, look, to win a war, you need three things. You need a yep. a, a willing and healthy population prepared to fight cross mm-hmm. for the reason we just went through mm. you need cash a cash generated economy which putin no longer has nope. the oil caps are actually destroying the russian budget so they've got a 25 billion dollar u.s budget deficit a month wow and they've got a sovereign wealth fund maybe 150 billion maybe and they're drawing down that so again yep. six month runway probably maybe less and then lastly you need the ability to make weapons Again, mm. they can't, yep. and that's because of the super, con- or sorry, semiconductor sanctions against them. So basically, they can't make the things that they're destroying. So they've lost half their tanks in yep. this first year of the war, and they're replacing them not with modern tanks, but with like Soviet era tanks. They're yeah. dusting off out of the, yeah, the warehouse, and we- yeah, they're wheeling out these yep. old tanks. So I mean, it's they are completely essentially lost their ability to fight war. Now, interestingly enough, when you talk about the ammunition, they uh, one of the problems that the Ukrainians are going to have as well is the fact that America has now had to treble its production of artillery right. shells. Right, The UK discovered when they started going, let's go through our inventory and see what we can hand out, they realised that if the UK went to war today they would be out of ammo in six right. days. I mean, like, this is a global issue that this everyone is was running yeah. their military inventories like just-in-time supply chains, exactly. basically running a military like you run a convenience store. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, probably not the way to do milk deliveries and artillery shells are slightly different in their importance. Yeah. As someone said, it's the first time you've had an industrialised war right. in Europe since World War II. Well, that's right. And like, you know, we obviously had Iraq and Afghanistan, but they were nothing like that. No. And they were counterinsurgency wars, so you could yeah. you could arm your army as you went. But anyways, in terms of Putin's endgame, mm. the problem for him is that he's dialed this thing up to existential levels. Yeah. And so he says, if we don't win this, Russia, not just, you know, the entire Russian state will be destroyed by the West. Yep. So once you've dialed it up to that level, you must win. So... 
He politically must win, but for the reason I just sort of spelled out, he sort of practicably can't win. Yep. So his ability to influence things on the ground is diminishing by the day, and yet he needs the political victory more and more and more. So at some stage, and I've written this, that, and I'm a little bit forward-leaning on this, but mm. I think at some stage Russian elites are going to say, you know what, there's no way out of this for Putin, but there might be a way out of this for us. Yes. And once they realise yeah. that, he might find himself falling out of a window like a Russian that's, oligarch. That's that's kind of where my head's at. Right. What what is the probability of that? I mean, Hard. at the end, yeah, because at the end of the day, you've got the, a lot of a lot of people in Russia are really keen to hold on to that wealth. Well, that oh, Daddy, I want a pony. Yeah, yeah. yeah Veruca Salt is alive and well and living in yep. Russia, and she wants her boat back. Well, that's right. And so a lot of people have had their elite lives taken away from them. The ordinary Russian people are very poor because these yep. Russian elites have stolen all this wealth. One hundred percent. But they've the. the those that are in and around Putin, the deal was, look, we steal, you run the place, and uh, that's the agreement. Now, he's kind of blown up their ability to have mm. their European playgrounds and enjoy their yachts, etc. But it's really the Russian spies that run the country, and increasingly they, they're looking at this game, this is going very badly, and there's really no way out. Putin can't negotiate for political reasons, as we've said. You re- the West really can't legitimately negotiate with him, given he's a war criminal. It'd be a little bit like saying, let's negotiate with Hitler. Yeah, Like, mm. you can't do it. Like, yep. I mean... It was possible to reconstruct Germany because Hitler was no longer there. And so those things are gradually you know, creating this pressure on him. But to your question about how do you kill him, he's a hard guy to kill. I would imagine he would be. You know, I've got this sort of theory in politics or in life generally that the thing you worry about most is what you're most guilty of. Oh, so yeah. Donald Trump thinks everyone's corrupt. Why? Because he's corrupt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Vladimir Putin thinks everyone's trying to kill him. Why? Because he's always <laughs> killing everyone. If he was Vladimir Putin, he'd be trying to... Not Vladimir Putin, he'd be trying to kill Vladimir Putin, right? Yeah. And so... He's extraordinarily uh, isolated. So mm. everyone's saying, yeah, you know, he no longer flies. He travels only by armored train. armored train. He basically is in a compound. You know, these long tables, everyone says, oh, he's got, he's sick. Look, he might be. The intelligence is mixed on that. But it's actually, he's terrified of anyone coming near him because of poisons. Yeah. So he is killed so many people through touch poisons. He's got a food taster. He's got a food taster. So the guy's. Enough. Nuts. Just on the illness, a lot of people thought he was had uh, palsy because his right, right arm was always... Oh, he might have had a stroke. Right. Because his right always arm holding was onto the table. Always, well, but his right arm was always down by his hip. Right. It never moved. Now, the interesting thing about that was, as they discovered, it's not... It wasn't palsy. As a KGB officer, he was trained to keep his hand close to his right hip because that's where your gun is. Right. Right. So, interesting yeah, enough... He's always the war- KGB man forever, isn't like, he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, once you're never out. Trust right. me, I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I walk with my hands in the air because I'm an ASIO officer and I don't have a gun. So please don't shoot me. And you're uh, a glorified uh, letter opener. Let's yeah, boy, be real. Yeah, let's be honest. Man, <laughs> you pushed a lot of paper around. Mate, I could kill you with a mail trolley in a second. Yes. <laughs> right. But the, the thing is with Putin's end game, I mean, one of the things with the rhetoric he has been using is if he does get dragged to a, pe- a peace table, he has the option to turn around to Russia and say, see, I saved you from NATO. I saved you from the West. I've, I managed to keep... Yeah, Ukraine at bay. I mean, the whole fact that he said we were attacked by the Ukraine. Oh, it's a lot of nonsense. Dude, no one believes I just don't see now, given how he's dialed it up so badly, that anything... The problem is peace simply has to involve Russian armies leaving Ukraine. Mm. He can't countenance that for the reasons that we've gone through. So at some point, the only person that can negotiate is someone else, right? Now, that doesn't have to necessarily be a inverted commas good person or someone that we like, but Mm -hmm. someone that we can deal with that can repudiate Putin, can put in some process around reject, oh, sorry, yeah, re- repudiation of war crimes. Yep. And that way, the West in good faith can say, okay, you've removed your armies, there's going to be a, a, an account for war crimes. 
you can ratchet down sanctions and you can find a way to de-escalate it. But with him there, I just can't see how either side can negotiate. He can't, nor can we really. And the terms that they put forward is essentially, we'll negotiate on the basis that Ukraine surrenders and gives us everything that we want. Mm. I mean, what nonsense. Or they get some essentially some kind of stalemate where Russia, as you know, we said, he, he's really struggling, gets a breather and comes back for more. I yep. mean, that's something you've got to be concerned well, about too. Well, the other question is China. I was going to say that as very, well. That. Very, very... Uh, kind of in and kind of out. Tacitly supportive yes. of Putin, or at least Russia. And they, they haven't done any arms, but they've certainly said, you know, we, we want to build a relationship with you. But the interesting point uh, that... I, we, I, you might have made it in your essay. I'm not sure uh, because I have read. It's really long, it's hard to remember. Yeah, but it's also <laughs> I've read so much of this over the last week. Is the idea that China used to be a vassal state essentially to yeah, Russia? That's it's right. not anymore. No, correct. Yeah. Right, and the problem is Russia. The Russian people yes. aren't going to take the fact that suddenly they're answerable correct. to Xi Jinping, especially and, in the spy network, oh. the Siloviki as they call them. They hate. The Chinese Communist Party, as you say, they were seen to be the junior partner, yeah. the joke partner. Right. And the idea that Vladimir Putin, as he's seeking a life raft away from Western sanctions, he's blown up his gas markets into Europe, you know, basically yeah. the biggest earner for Russia, increasingly not just becoming a partner of China, becoming a not a junior partner even, a client state yeah, a yeah. of China. And that is unacceptable for the Chinese. But then also... Oh, the Russians. So the Russians, rather. Yeah. But when you look at the Chinese as well, I mean... The Chinese are loving this. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they are in a way, but at the same time, Vladimir Putin sold them a bit of a pup. So when they yeah. when they signed this um, so-called No Limits Partnership in February, right before the invasion, he was promised it would all... I believe Xi Jinping... We don't know. History will tell us. But I think Putin said, listen, this will all be over in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. We'll be looking at the goods and then... Taiwan will be next, perhaps. Of course, it all went to custard. Mm. And now, you know, Xi Jinping's holding hands with this regime that have uh, committed all these war crimes is going very, very badly. So I think she's sitting there going, you know what, instinctively, I want to bail Putin out because he can see the guys coming under pressure. And a new regime is far more unpredictable, even if it's not democratic. Yeah. Yeah. They might seek peace. The devil, you know. They might not want yeah. to continue on this kind of bromance of dictators. So he's thinking about that. At the same time, though, and this is where I think in the end the calculus will land for the Chinese, they can't afford to get in a situation where they send weapons to Russia and their sanctions against the no. Chinese economy. The Chinese economy yep. is struggling. Yep, They need a rapprochement with the world in terms of trade. And the last thing China needs and the last thing Xi Jinping needs after zero COVID is an economic downturn. And so his geopolitical instincts, he tends to put politics and geopolitics before the economy. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, the deal for the Chinese with the, the Chinese government, such as it is, or the Chinese Communist Party mm. with its people, is economic growth in exchange for personal liberty deprivation. If there's no yeah. economic growth that deal becomes less uh, palatable. So yeah. I think, you know, he's going to want to do it, but I'm sceptical that they will do it. They're foxing because I think they enjoy having the world hopping around a bit. Yeah. And they're, try and they're, they're irritated after what happened with the spy balloons, which we can talk about. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think I personally take the view that it's gone so badly that the temptation about Putin will be there, but Putin out is there. But I think ultimately he's going over the overboard and so to handcuff yourself to the washing machine as it goes off the ship, I think is a bad move. I exactly. I think yeah. I, I, I think China would be looking at the end game for China, honestly, I think is can we deal with the next person coming in? Right. And that's the big issue is who is the next person right. coming in? Good question. Uh, and without the Siloviki behind you, Russia is a really, really difficult nut to take over. Totally. So 
who is the person that's currently sitting in the box seat? For well, we don't really know. Um, I speculated a bit in my piece. Mm. I mean, it, you know, there, there is all the other options as well. They're, one of the things people don't know about Russia is that, okay, you've got the army, but they're actually all private armies as well, essentially yeah. armies that are loyal to warlords or to, you know, oligarchs. I think like, you described you know, it as being very group. much like Rome. You're, Absolutely you're, like ancient your, Rome. Your allegiance is to your general, right. not to the state. Right, and so as a result, you know, Putin's watching some of these guys very closely. Katarov, who's the uh, essentially the president of the Chechen Republic, but, yeah. you know, a Putin thug. There's Wagner Group, Prigozhin, who, you know, Russia's private army that does yeah. all kind of black ops around the world, and there's some others as well. But inside the Siloviki, the head of the FSB, probably someone that we don't want, uh, the head of the National Security Council, someone that we don't want. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just as bad as Putin. The Foreign Service head, whose name escapes me, you might remember it. No. Uh, anyway, I'm failing my own test here. I wrote about this, but... Uh, it's not a memory he, test. No, no, no. But he is, <laughs> I guess, the less odious one. He had a meeting with Bill Burns, a CIA director yeah. in Turkey a couple of weeks back, and so it shows he's got... Still connections outside of Putin's court. And I think that's the real key, is you've got to have somebody that can talk to the right, rest of the world. Right. Someone that can say, listen, we want to de-escalate as much as you do, yep. but the Silviki might put up a, a prop. You know, They might say, hey, we're going to put up a technocrat. So maybe like the Moscow mayor or something like that is yeah. someone who's like seen to be competent. We want to get back to economics and kind of dealing with the world and not kind of like, you know, maybe we can... Look, unfortunately, I'd love to see a democratic Russia, you know, well, but I, I, don't I think struggle to see it happening. No. But mm. we could wind this back to... You know, Putin 2003, not Putin 2023. Yeah, and, and the, the, the other thing that's quite yeah. interesting about that is, I mean, with the Siloviki and the head of the Foreign Intelligence Service being a, a potential candidate for replacement, the interesting thing about that is they are so active at the moment. I mean, we had right. uh, Burjo last week come out and talk about how they just cracked a right, Russian spy ring. A hive. A hive. So we'd like ratchet it up from a nest yep. to a we're hive. Now, we're now in hive territory. I don't know what comes after the hive. What comes after the hive? Herd. <laughs> A mob. <laughs> Easy in a spot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they're just crazy on intelligence yeah. there the in the corner. Spies, yeah. Right. Now, the thing is, if you have a proactive, like if you have a proactive intelligence service chief who is talking to the Western world, right. that is a more appealing, uh, to me, that's a more appealing candidate than having, say, a warlord right. or a hawk. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we don't need another hawk in there because Putin's done that enough. That's right. And they be, they're all conspiracy theorists, which is something that's not well understood. And yeah. they've been feeding Putin a lot of conspiracy well, theories. Well, I mean, his speech well, was, his speech, we're protecting the yeah. world from homosexuality right. and, or is it, the decadence of the West. Right. But, like, I, but his speech was also, it had like all those throwbacks from like a lot of the Twitter bots, from right. a lot of the stuff that they were right. saying, like the pedophiles and right. like all of the that well, kind of stuff. There, there's this weirdest feedback loop yeah. that exists between... Uh, the Russian misinformation state, right-wing authoritarian parties inside democracies, uh, right-wing news media, and it's just like feeding itself like on a, yeah. on a loop. Um, and so Putin is definitely trying to position himself. And you look at this weird relationship between him and Tucker Carlson, right? This sort of uh, that, yeah, oh that, that, yeah, that's an Ouroboros of, of monumental right. But but what it is is he's trying to position Russia as the nation state that's standing mm. up for conservative Christian uh, yeah, values. Yeah. It brackets white. Doesn't he have a pole uh, dancing know. studio in his mansion? <laughs> I mean, I mean T- Tucker Carlson is an actor, let's be real. Yeah, Tucker, yeah, let's he's, be he's not really a journalist. He's someone who, I mean, he used to be on CNN. He's someone who. He's you know, found a wave that he's. He's, sort of ride, he's, right? he's literally found that wave that will mm. make him a shit ton of cash mm. and also give him power. Mm. And, I mean, you look at the the Fox, like Dominions are now, you know, the voting machines, they're now having this, fall, this fallout against yeah, Fox. Yeah, 
the lawsuit yeah. and Fox is saying, you know, well, we're, we're not a news site. <laughs> we're entertainment. entertainment. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't really put it in the box that it's meant to be in. So Tucker Carlson, of course, he's playing this yeah. like yeah. that. No, but but it is a weird but thing to see. But it's a weird relationship. Like, you know. Conservative right, Americans. Right. Who, who are hawkish against mm. the CCP, right? And are hawkish yes. against China. But, but I think, somehow I think dovish that, to Russia, it is a bizarre... But I also think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're just racist. Oh, I thought so. <laughs> like, brackets white. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Um, and yeah. I also think you'll find that it's there because, well, Joe Biden's president. Right. You have a Democratic president, therefore, whatever that president does, whether we support it or not, right. we don't support it. Right. Yeah. We are going to come out against it simply because it's him. Yeah, you can imagine what they would have said if, you know, had it been a, Dem- a Republican president who exactly. went to Kiev... I mean, that was a real ball and move by God. Biden. Yes, like, I was just went to that, a war I was zone going to army, ask you know? about that. Yeah. Like, how how would that have played in Ukraine, and how would that have been received in terms of like just boosting morale? Monumental. Man, yeah, he walked uh, in with a pair of Ray Bans. Yeah, right. what's going look, on? Yeah, looking <laughs> resplendent, yellow and blue tie. Well, but they have just they, done twenty hours of travel. But they yep. had, you know, they had Boris Johnson. They've had like right. a lot of leaders. Yeah, go. but the U.S. Elbow's president. Been. But the U.S. president. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I um, mean, they've had a lot of leaders go, but the. <laughs> But exactly, and it's the first time an American president has entered a war zone right. without with no boots, were on not boots on the ground. Right, yeah. and so it was a hugely gutsy Massive. move by Biden. Yeah. But I think in many ways, like he was, there's a photo of Biden drinking one of my favorite coffee shops, and that was kind of to me the great sort of contrast in yeah. that one year on, Biden's drinking coffee in Kiev that you know Putin said he was going to knock over in 24 hours. Meanwhile, Putin's in a bunker somewhere, ranting and raving about God knows what. And so I think it was a huge boost, and it says. You know, it was a message to Ukrainians and I think it's also a message to Europeans yep. that the US is in it for the long haul. Yeah. And so stop dilly-dallying in terms of your preparedness to send weaponry that's required um, and give them what they need because the sooner it gets dealt with, the better. And so the the increased pain that can be inflicted on Putin on the battlefield and Putin in the economic space, mm. something will snap for him. Yeah, I don't know what, and I can't predict how, but I'm confident it will happen. But that was a sort. Of, that was again something that I can't remember again where I read it. Uh, someone was saying that the problem with getting him to the peace table or getting Russia to the peace table, not necessarily Putin, is both sides have to suffer. Right. Yeah. Ukraine has suffered. It right. has suffered monumentally. It's lost territory. It's lost its sons. It's mm. it's had its capital. Its capital is still being hit by missiles. Right. right. They are suffering. Right. Has Russia. At the moment, yeah, they're beginning to suffer economically. Mm. But when, I mean, it's that classic thing when the body bags start coming home, that's, that's right. when the population start going Well, you can't we lie this? about that. No. You can't cover up dead people. Well, the Americans kind of did it with Iraq by just right. not talking about it. But nevertheless, people know the truth in their communities. Well, right? exactly. If you someone know when doesn't come yeah. home, yeah. you can't cover that up. And 200,000 dead troops, if it's that, that's a lot of grieving families that mm. say, what is this all about? And then they hear it's all going badly. And, you know, people are talking. Like, you look at... It's hard to measure polling inside the US, but I saw polling by the Navalny team uh, that said that, you know, there'd been a big drop in terms of the confidence about how the war was progressing and yeah. how Putin was articulating that strategy. Now, unfortunately, that's not all people that say, let's end the war. Mm. There are people that say the reason why Putin has stuffed this is because he hasn't gone hard enough. Yep. Now, yes. That will bump up against reality in the sense that for all the reasons I said, their war-making machine is basically kaput. But, you know, that's where nuclear weapons and these types of threats come Well, out. it's kind of like they're playing this 
old um, mentality of how Russia used to be in this new space where, you know, we've spoken about this before, they're fighting against, you know, social media, they're fighting against, you know, the world is ready to kind of jump in and help. We're not, we're not putting boots on the ground, but we're going to sit back and, you know, try and try and alleviate some of the pressure that's on Ukraine. But I think the, the scary thing, although I don't think it's going to happen, but the whole, you know, he's making the threats, he's ramping up the rhetoric around nuclear. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I mean, whenever someone says nuclear, you you know, you shouldn't just dismiss it out of hand, right? I mean, no. But I always see when Putin discusses nuclear threats as a projection of weakness. Yes. And what I mean by that is, I agree. Yeah. If the war's going well, you wouldn't. You would he ever it. discuss nuclear weapons, no, right? It's no. what it comes down to is he's turned the country into a petrol station with a nuclear arsenal, right? Yeah. And he's saying, doesn't matter how humiliated our armies are. It doesn't matter how humiliated Russia's prestige is doesn't matter how isolated we are, how many sanctions there are, you must respect Russia because we can blow up the world, right? Yeah. That's essential what he's whittled it mm. down to. But as scary as it may be, the prospect of it, right, and I don't diminish it, I firstly think it wouldn't happen. I, I think don't, even I don't if think he so. pressed the button, I suspect everyone around him goes, you know what, this ends here. Yeah, I think, yes. I think that's been unplugged. I don't know, but I think that's yeah, probable. The button is no longer right, connected. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I think that would be a bit of a you know yeah. internal red line. We don't know, but that's me speculating. But also... What he's hoping for is, look, Putin is no strategist. He's a gambler. Yeah. And so he's got himself into a mess here. And so he's trying to double down by ratcheting up the stakes and going, I'm all in. Are you prepared to go all in? Yep. And in the past, the West has always folded. Uh, for, you, know, you touched on a few when they invaded Georgia in 2008, yeah. the, the annexation Crimea. of Crimea, the murdering of uh, extraterritorial murders in other countries, the UK and other places, mm-hmm. the meddling in the 2016 election. It goes on and on and on. And he always says, you know what, I don't care, I'm all in. And everyone goes, oh, you know, geez, he might turn off the gas, he might do these things, we better not do anything. But now he's been doing those things right. and everyone's Well, that's right. In the end, well, the threat of something is always scarier than actually doing it. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I looked at this quite closely. Even if you launch a tactical nuclear weapon inside Ukraine, as horrific as that would be, it would not fundamentally change the on-battlefield scenario. Right. No. It doesn't actually change the war. So he would be doing it and probably have all kinds of hell rain down on him even if he could do it. I think if he did set off a tactical nuke, the problem he would have is the rest of the world, including China, would turn around and go, all right, now you've gone to that. That's right. And so uh, he he gets more out of the threat than he gets out of the actuality, much like he would have got a lot more had he have just threatened to invade Ukraine. Yeah. I think he could have extracted quite a Mm. good settlement. And in fact, you look at the Minsk II Accords or Minsk I Accords, they look like a deal he'd beg to take right now, yes. which is he gets to keep Crimea and that the so-called Donbass republics in, in Luhansk and Donetsk are mm. semi-autonomous. That's not on the table now. It's and not. even if he could get that, he's blown up his economy, blown up his army, blown up his reputation. So that's my point about how he yes. snooked himself. Yeah. So the threat of something is scarier than actually doing it a lot of the time. Not to say that the threat of nuclear annihilation is not scary, but I always put in that bucket. It's a desperate move by a desperate man hoping to dig his way out, and we are right to, whilst be concerned about it, we have to ignore it because the alternative is, okay, Putin, sorry, don't launch nukes, okay, peace. What have we taught him? Yeah. And what have we taught other dictators with nuclear weapons? Exactly. And so, you know, it's a... These are bad choices. Like, I'm, you know, people say, oh, you want to see this war go on? Of course not. But it's a bad choice. 
we only have bad choices, which is we must win and Ukraine must win. The worst choices are giving in and all these other worst things that would happen. Yeah, if you give in, that's right. you've really sold the farm. Totally. Uh, for no, you've given it away. Totally. Now, here's the thing. How much long do you think this can last? Well, I mean, I... Again, I'm a little bit out there on this. Yeah. I think there'll be some big things happening in the next three to six months. Mm-hmm. I yeah. just think their cash machine, their ability to wage war on the battlefield, I think that a really big rout of the Russian army could set off all kinds of unpredictable consequences for Russia inside Moscow. Ooh, yeah. So if you saw a big rout like we saw in September where the Ukrainians were just pushing them back, you know, tens and tens and hundreds of kilometres and on the march and the Russians are just in a, not a retreat, a disorderly retreat, mm. complete you know, a route. Uh, another one of those, I don't think he can sustain another one of those. No. And the Russian morale is so low on the battlefield. You're seeing reports of yeah. mutiny. You're seeing reports of refusing to fight. They're quarantining the fresh troops away from the troops they've been fighting, lest they because, find out about yep, what's about to they happen. Don't, yeah. They don't need right. to find that right, out. Right, right, right. Group, the Wagner Group can no, now no longer recruit <laughs> from prison. It's safer in a Russian gulag than it is yeah, on the battlefield. Because yeah. the prisoners have... Imagine that the war is so bad you'd that you prefer, prefer the gulag. Putin's gulag is better. Literally. As they said, you know, if you go and fight... If you run six away, months. if you desert, you you do six months in your home, yeah, right. uh, in your home, yeah, but you won't make six minutes, right? The yeah. whole thing is, even the ones that have made six months, they're re-signed in, right? And also the fact that it is so brutal. As somebody said, it's it's essentially a life sentence with better food, <laughs> right? Is to go on the line, and the yeah. problem is, every day you go out on that line, right. is a you're getting that much closer to catching a bullet, and. Look, one of the things uh, that I'm absolutely blown away with is the Ukrainians' ability to improvise with right. the, the kit they've given. They yeah, have their yes, tactical awareness. Yeah, is they amazing. have yeah. yes, anded their way through this war brilliantly right. to the point their drone, like as someone said, there's a real problem with ammunition, but they can be producing twenty thousand drones a month, and that would, and even though the Russians have said we know how to deal with drones, they were dealing with drones in Syria and very simple kind of drones. The stuff that they're facing with the Ukrainians is absolutely brilliant. Right. Yes, and also um, the what a lot of people don't realise too, the Ukrainians have been rebuilding. Construction has been going Correct. on. They're yeah. rebuilding and they're doing like really quick, really quick. Yeah. I mean, they're putting the rest of us to shame. No, like, that's right. I mean, like you try to get a pothole filled in Sydney I and know. you're waiting months, but like... I'm you know, still trying to get my kitchen renovated. <laughs> well, I was if in, any builders out there. I was in help. Kiev uh, when the first, like they hadn't been hit since the mm. Battle of Kiev. So it was yeah. October last year, give or take. And um, there was huge explosions in the middle of the city, yeah. uh, right near the university and like, you know, school, kids, parks, etc. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. horrific. But there was a massive crater in the middle of one of their main intersections. They'd covered it up. And, and cars are driving on it again within 24 hours. Mm. And they're making that a point of pride, right? Yes. To say you can't break it. Well, us. yeah, because it was, in, mm. it was interesting, a conservative, popular American, of oh, course. I know that, yes. Yeah, you know the tweet. And like he put He's up like... This like, war's fake Yeah, this war's fake because, you know, the building that had a massive hole now doesn't have a massive it's hole. It's like Well, champ. I was like, yeah, right. someone who doesn't understand construction. <laughs> yeah. And b- because... It's called tradies. Because right, right, right. high-level Ukrainians have been sharing these images saying, we are yeah, rebuilding. It's a point of pride. It is a point of pride. Right. And I think that hopefully Russia is going to start to back away a little bit more. I give it six months as well. I think it's going to end in, a, in six months. I don't see how it can possibly go on from a political perspective and also from, you know, boots on the ground perspective. Yeah. At, at, at some point you're going to run well, out he, of Well, people. the thing is he's either going to run out of cash. Or people. He's going to run out of troops or he's going to run out of kit and equipment. Yes. And if he has to go back 
to get another call up and things are going that badly? That's a question mark. How does he... Look, forgetting about using the cash to evade sanctions, he's been using that to essentially mm. insulate Russians economically from the impacts of, this, of the war, right? Yeah. So there'll be no more cash for people at home. Yeah. Uh, so and the as prospect... Soon as that happens. Well, indeed, right? So They're all already these things doing are it tough. All these things are on a collision course. Yeah. And I look at that and go, right, a sensible guy goes, I've got to deal my way out of this. Yes. Except he can't deal his way out no. of it. No. And so what does he do? And so he sits there and goes, well, we've got to keep going. And then everyone else goes, you know what? Yeah. How do we reckon that we might go without Putin? And uh, you, and I think the West can very cleverly be signalling in the background, going, you know what? Whoever knocks this guy off, we'll be prepared to talk to and oh, deal yeah. with. I have a feeling that someone's going to stand one of those tables of his up on its end and then push him off the other end. <laughs> yeah, of oh, that would be I enough. Really, They're pretty long. Exactly. I mean, I that'd do, be a couple of story droppers. I do believe it'll be a. Let's go upstairs and have a chat, right. Vlad. And yeah, I would right. imagine as well there would be, you know, spies from other countries kind of nestled in oh, around yeah. that Look, area. Look, I think you'll find that uh, the interesting thing that came out right at the beginning of the war was the fact that the Americans were saying this is going to happen. It was right. a real intelligence mm. coup 100%. For them. The front-running of the intelligence right. was extraordinary. The, the, the intelligence they ran, but also Biden. It was Biden and the, U- it was the UK and the US, right? Yep. So. Both MI6 and the CIA knew what was going on. And the, the big thing is when everyone went, no, 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 it's not happening. The French were very much like, oh, no, 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 yeah. we know the Russians, it's not happening. Yeah. And it's when the US actually turned around to the French and went, they've moved their medical units You're right. to the, the blood front. banks are on the... And uh, the blood banks, yeah, they've the moved blood their banks blood the reserves up there. Once you've moved the blood reserves, the demo... When it was explained to me is that once you've mobilised that degree, it's very difficult yeah. to demobilise. And I think, you know, in many ways, World War One, Germany mobilised and they're like, well, I guess we kind of have to keep going now, right? Yeah. And like this is part of the trap of it. Mm. Um, it's very once expensive. you move your blood totally. blood stocks into the totally. uh, into the staging area, it's, it's going on, on yep. right? Yep. So the thing is, the Americans knew this, and their best option was to actually go. Let's go totally public and tell the world this. Hundred percent. Now everyone in the world went, "Oh, sleepy Joe, you don't know what you're talking about." Right. And then what happened? Thirty six hours later, the tanks rolled in. It was actually one of the really interesting things about the war in the way that the Russians were positioned for the first time mm. ever. Putin yeah. is very good at shaping the information space and shaping therefore yes. Russian grievances, getting enough people to accept it. Pretty much in 2014 when they next Crimea, he had a lot of people going, well, Crimea did it belong to Russia once upon a time. Oh, it's hard to know, you know? Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, the Russians kind of need a warm sea base. Like people would people spread the talking it. points, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas on this one, we and we knew, but in the past we would know, but never tell anyone, right? Yeah, it was the rapid declassification of the intelligence yes. is the unprecedented thing to use it to shape the environment. So once Putin went in, mm. it was indisputably the bad guy, and there was yep. not going to be any false flag operations. Yep. There wasn't going to be so Putin, you invade, you're going in as the bad guy, and in the end, because he's quite happy being the sort of the bad guy, the, bad guy, the Darth Vader of uh, oh, global geopolitics. He's, he's kind totally of the, the he's always Vader. reveled in that in yeah. that persona. Well, they're both bald, so it makes, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. One's got a helmet, but uh, the, the other one's got a bear that he rides. That's right. I don't know if Putin have someone else voicing him because, they, of course, it was yeah, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones was doing it, but it wasn't the fo- David Prowse wanted to do it. Right, he said you can either get in the suit and shut up, or right. you can go home. And right, right, oh, right. With a suit. Yeah. Now the interesting point though is there was uh, the scuttlebutt around was there was definitely sources in the Kremlin totally. that was feeding that intelligence out. Uh, whether it was one person, whether it's many, it's un- unsure. Now I believe you would have multiple sources coming 100%. out of the Kremlin. 100%, because they would be working hard to try and find a way out of this yeah. in the best Even way just possible. Or like, be the guy that, you know, you remember when I was telling you that stuff? Yep, you yep, remember? Yep, yep. Exactly. Yep. I mean, it was interesting just as well on the early intelligence, you know, the, 
all the hit squads that were after Zelensky in the opening exchange of the war the first week or two when the Russians were kind of deeply penetrated Ukraine and they'd sent their death squads in for yep. Zelensky. The FSB, they believe, were leaking the positions of those death squads to the Ukrainians, which is extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. So that's uh, Russia's internal, effectively, their ASIO. Uh, basically, it gives you an indication of... I think a lot of the people in times in the intelligence services of Russia thought this was a bad idea. They don't want it. And they thought, this is going to go badly. Yep. And, you know, I think in many ways it's the trap of the dictator that 25 years of great job boss yeah. uh, in the end leads you into a calamity like this because yep. no one ever challenges what you say because if you do, you fall out of a window, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so... And we've seen that. So you right. don't get clear intelligence. Right, right. But there's enough doubt inside the show that... When I put, put that together, along with what you're saying now, along with the fact that he's in such a bad way and the fact that Russia's running out of runway, I think they're going to say, you know what, it's time for uh, to put Uncle Vlad in the retirement home in yep. the sky, the old KGB unit in the sky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's hard to see him get arrested. I think it's no. more likely that yeah. we wake up and he's had a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I think There's not going to be a perp walk. We're closer and closer to the heart attack and we're... We've reached the end, unfortunately. No heart attack at the end of this app. But <laughs> time for your penthouse, Mister <laughs> Putin. I, I mean, we could just talk to you for hours. Have a look at the balcony. I know. It's lovely. I've got four thousand words of material to go through. If you'd like to keep going, you um, read that article. I could. I, I, could I could read it at slow speed. No, yeah. I well, I actually do enjoy your writing. It's just whenever I have a good, you no, know, two hours spare, you know. Piece. No, no, no. Normally, my my op eds of a Friday are uh, seven fifty eight hundred, so much yeah. tighter. Really. I do remember starting to scroll. I went, oh crap! Cry- yeah, I do that sometimes as <laughs> well. How long does this go for? Because like, I'm really interested in it, but geez, I don't know. I know. I know. I know, yeah, I know yeah. when I'm, I'm over it is when I go because I generally pick it up on Twitter. Is when I go. And by the way, if you want to join the conversation. At, at I Spied, I Spied Podcast. Yeah, you threw me off. <laughs> I know. At, at I, I Spied, Spied Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry about that. That's just the plug. Um, you know, if Got to get it in. If you won't plug your own podcast, who will, mate? Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> exactly. one's plugging us. No, That's right. Us. Except plugging him into a machine to stop talking. <laughs> well, how do you do? <laughs> <laughs> No, look, um, Fin Review, Misha, highly recommend everyone go out and read. Diplomates, also great podcast. Thank you so much yeah, for thank joining you very us. Much no, no, great pleasure. Thanks for having me on so soon after we last spoke. Uh, it's, oh, it's wouldn't a, yeah, you can come well, in every week if you want. It's yeah. important to have uh, – <laughs> no, it's important for people to be talking about it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, look, we, we can't give up. Ukraine must win our fates. Australia's fate is very much intertwined with what happens there. So, and uh, let's hope we have you in probably within the next six months to when talk about the over, end. When it's all over, hopefully, yeah. The end. Yeah, yeah. I really hope, we're not ta- really hope we're not talking about a two-year... No. I hate the term anniversary, but marker of the war. Yeah, yeah. Real shame. yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Pleasure to be here.